come with me. We're stepping out of this space and stepping out into the evening air. It's actually about nine at night in a town called Bethsaida, right on the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee. We step out and we look up to get our bearings, but there's no lights in the sky. A fully overcast sky has hidden the moon and the stars. All we have is the sound of the water lapping up against the shore of the Sea of Galilee. We make our way down the path, down along the seashore, and we're walking towards Capernaum, a little town in a village, a little village where our friend has invited us to come and stay with them. And so we walk, making our way. In this pitch black night, we walk and we're looking for something, a single light, because they said, we will leave a light on for you. In this age before incandescent lighting, an oil lamp is the main way they lit the darkness. And in the desert, a candle can be seen for 30 miles. So looking up, you spot that small flame flickering in the distance, and your heart leaps. You found your bearing point, and you're on your way. You're walking along the seashore, keeping your eyes fixed on that flame. You're getting closer to Capernaum, and as you see, you begin to hear the sounds of animals in their pens, a town settling in for the night. As you get closer to the sound, you look up for that bearing point one more time, and the light goes out, and you find yourself looking for any sign, any symbol, any way to know where you're at and you're stubbing your toe and you're walking into the town now and you, and you can't see anything. There's no shadows because there's no light. There's no way to make your way through the maze of houses to find his house. There's no reference point and you realize that without the light, you are lost Why? Why would someone hide the light? When we look at today's scripture, what I want to do is, is have that idea in our heads, the power of the light, of what it means and what it represents. Luke chapter 8, verses 16 to 18. No one lights a lamp and hides it under a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on the stand so that those who are there those who come can see the light, for there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that it will not be brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they do have will be taken from them. An oil lamp is something you put on a stand to give light off, it was for those to come and see what the light illuminates. If light were hidden, it would be useless. What would be the purpose of lighting a lamp and covering it and taking away the very thing that it was used to do, to give light? And I think that question must be echoed back to us as a church. Why do we hide our light? The end of our come and see scripture mentions that those who hide their light, even what they have will be taken from them. Even what they have will be removed. And there's another story within the Gospels that tells us this. 
that if we do not, if we do not value the light that we have, it will be taken and we will be called to account for it. In this story, we look at gold, bags of gold. Now, the bags of gold are, are it, it's something we can actually take and say, uh, the gold, I want you to kind of replace in your mind with light, the light. It's a comparable in this story because here's what happened. In, um, in Matthew chapter 25, we see a master, a man who owns an estate, who leaves on a far journey. And in a far journey back in those days, you were gone for months. He leaves on a far journey. And when he goes, he gives bags of gold to different servants, each according to what he deems is appropriate to entrust to them. And it it goes from like five bags, two bags, and one guy gets one bag of gold. The guy with five bags, he turns and he invests it and it turns into 10 bags of gold when the master returns. Um, he, He invests wisely. The guy with two bags, he invests the gold and it is doubled and there's four bags of gold. The guy with one bag is frightened of the master. And it's a strange dynamic. He's given him this opportunity. But because the man doesn't trust the master, he takes the gold, he goes to a secret place, and he buries it in the ground. When the master comes back and receives 10 bags for the five he invested and four bags for the two he invested, he looks to the one hoping he has taken what he was given and invested it wisely. And the man says to him, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, so I took your gold and I hid it. Here it is, the full sum. And the master says back to him, you wicked and evil servant. If you were wise, you would have just put it in the bank and allowed me to draw interest on it. Instead, I have lost. And he hands him over to the torturers. Why? Why does he do this? Why does he put him in a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth? Why did the wicked servant only get one bag? We could ask all these questions, but why does in this story, why does he bury his gold? Why does he hide what God gave him in order to increase the kingdom of the master? Why did he bury it? It was because he believed something of the master that wasn't true. Master, I know that you are a hard man. And that you reap where you did not sow. It means you go out to a field and you harvest it expecting a harvest even though you didn't plant seed in it. I know you're a hard man with high expectations is what he said. So I buried it. I lived into my fear, not into the idea that I'm going to sow this wisely and reap a harvest for you. I hid your gold in the ground. When, when we think wrongly of God, as this servant does, we commit one of the great sins of all time. It's the idea of thinking a thought of God that isn't true. One of my very favorite theologians, A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, he says this, the highest thought we will ever have is a correct idea or understanding of God. When we think correctly of who God is, we actually have a bearing point in life. We think correctly of God in some way, 
we will begin to live correctly. We will come under submission of that correct thought of God. And what we see here is if we think incorrectly of God, we will do things with the things that God invested in our life that he will not accept. God will not accept a wicked, lazy servant who takes the light of Christ the treasure of the gospel and buries it or covers the light and says, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want God to be unhappy if I'm not a good witness. God will not imbibe that. God doesn't sit there with his hand on the smite button waiting for you to make a mistake. That is not God. Actually, what we see, do this with me. Let's look who God really is. There's a story, there's a phrase that is um, that runs like a thread throughout the Old Testament. It's a gold thread, if I'm honest. It is a thread of great value. One of the most famous places it's stated, this statement is made, is in the book of Jonah. And it's actually given as an accusation against God because Jonah didn't want the Ninevites to repent. And Jonah says to God when he's mad at God because the people of Nineveh repented, Jonah says of God, see I knew that you were slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from sending calamity. I didn't want you to be merciful to them. That phrase is said, abounding in steadfast, I know that you are gracious and compassionate, abounding in steadfast love and a God who is slow to anger and relents from sending calamity. That phrase is said in Exodus, Nehemiah, Psalms twice and the prophet Joel. It's a declaration of the character of God. We know that he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relents from sending compassion or relents from sending calamity. Here's the thing. In the Hebrew, I had to learn this phrase, and I'll never forget. There's this, this aspect to it, the, the, the abounding in steadfast love and slow to anger. It means you have a long nose. There's this thing like it, it's... It's long out there. You have, um, you have this, this thing out in front of you that keeps God, I feel like, from colliding, right? It's a fascinating thing. He's abounding in steadfast love. It, it puts something out in front of him before the wrath of God comes this abounding love. It, it's, it's this thing out here that prevents us from colliding with the wrath of God, but first encountering the Oh, the slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, God. It's a mental image. My Hebrew class was taught in action. So I just have this image of my professor doing this when we talked about this very phrase. Why? Because we know this to be true of God. We know that this is true, that he is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and desiring not to send calamity. We know that to be true. That is our God. Here's what I would ask. Do we avoid, do we hide the light in our life for reasons that maybe we don't want to talk about. Sometimes I think we hide the light in our life because we're afraid that the light will shine everywhere. And there's a lot of us who are like, do not want that light shining everywhere in my life. There are things I am and things I do that I don't want put out into the open. Last week, we invited you to let Jesus come and see your hurts 
but you are also to invite him to come and see your entire being, to illuminate what's going on within you so as to convict you of sin, you repent of it, and be transformed into the image of Jesus. We are to invite the Spirit of God to shine a light on us that convicts us and transforms us. Remember the rest of this verse in Luke. There is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be made known or brought into the open. Therefore, consider carefully, not how you see, how you listen. God's saying, Jesus is saying, listen to this. Listen to this. What you think you're hiding isn't hidden. What you think is undercover isn't. Whoever has, more will be given to them, right? Whoever has will be given more. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away. Don't just hear the message. Do what it says. Hearing is not doing, right? We live in a generation of feeling. Oh, man, it just feels so good. It doesn't matter if it doesn't change you. You may feel bad about something, but if you live in a perpetual habit and rut of sin, you may feel bad about it, but are you going to change? Are you going to get out of the rut? Are you going to take practical steps to deal with what the Spirit of God illuminates in you? Because when we get into those ruts, I believe we hide our light and we justify willful, sinful patterns that hide our light and God's calling us up out of those things. He's not allowing them to happen. We need to do more than just hear it. Jesus is saying in this scripture, consider carefully how you listen. There is an implied response to what you hear. If you hear what I'm saying, you're going to live differently. Be careful with how you listen. Listen closely to this. James 1.22 says it this way. Don't merely listen to the word of God and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. Turn on the light so that your life may say, come and see. It doesn't mean you're perfect. But here's the thing. Nobody wants a perfect pastor. Nobody wants the perfect spouse. Nobody wants the perfect kids. Nobody wants perfection. People want someone who understands what it is to be in process with them. To be real. We don't have it all together. I don't have it all together I'm not always a mess. There's times I really get it right and I'm excited about that. But there are times where God convicts me of things. I'm thankful for people and this church which allows me to be imperfect. But I'm in process. I'm not justifying my imperfections. I know that those can be places, my imperfections, where the light is hidden. So I deal with it by listening closely and responding to the grace of God in conviction. And conviction of sin is the grace of God uncovering our light. Saying don't live in that sin that separates you from God. It's an invitation that we hear in the book of James. Don't merely listen to the word of God. And in just listening to it, we deceive ourselves. We feel something. It's like writing out a workout plan and then having a milkshake because, man, I'm going to get after it. No, it didn't do anything. You thought about something, but you didn't do it. 
It goes on to say, do what the word of God says. Turn on the light is what I would invite you to do. Turn that light on so that your life will say, come and see. Not just to people who are doing well, but to who? Remember our story back in the beginning. To the weary traveler who is lost and does not have their bearings. Your life will be like a light shining in the darkest desert. And it says, come and see. It's okay. This is a place where you can come. Lost souls around you will be attracted to the light of Christ. So here's what I want to encourage you. Don't think your light isn't strong enough. Don't commit the sin that the, that the servant committed when he was only given one bag of gold. Maybe you don't have the world's strongest light. Maybe you don't have the biggest investment. But here's the reality. I want you to consider this with me. Take out your cell phones, your your smartphones real quick. Most of us have them. Just take them out. I'm not going to make you text 94,000, I promise. Right? Take them out, and everybody, turn on your flashlight. Yeah! Only takes a spark. No. Appreciate that, Kyle. Um, So we have our flashlight. But honestly, it doesn't make much of a difference. Like, I can wave it like this. And I see some cool lightsaber lines, but it doesn't add to anything, right? It doesn't feel like this is making a difference in this room. It doesn't stand out that much. Maybe you feel like you don't matter because your light is not as bright as the house lights. Maybe you feel like, um, maybe you feel like you have this dim little light that doesn't matter, that, that you can't do much with. But imagine with me, you go home tonight and the lights go out and one of your children calls out. How important is this going to be for you to bring comfort to them as you make your way through the house? Because it's more traumatic to a child when you're working your way through a dark house late at night and you kick the wall and they're scared and you're screaming and you're you know, like stomping around and you're in pain. But if you're like, okay, it's okay and they see the light coming towards them, how much is that going to matter? Imagine with me what it's like. Ladies, let's say this. Maybe you're out in the parking lot and you've gotten groceries at Myers late at night and you parked under one of the light stands that isn't working. Not that they're not, Myers legal team. But, um, but you park there and you come up next with your groceries to a woman who's looking for her keys and looks a little nervous and you can say this, hey, I have a light. Do you want to look in your purse with this? They're like, oh, thank you. And they can look in and see. They can look in and see. Your light in the darkness shines incandescently bright. Nothing can withhold it. Nothing can, nothing can stop it. It glows outward. It can be seen from a long ways away in the same way as those stories, the light of Christ shines in this world. Where? Maybe not so much in the church because we're all alight here, aren't we? Many of us know Christ. Many of us who are here are inquisitive about Christ, are wondering what's so attractive about it. Many of us here are questioning, like, you know, some of us are like, maybe, maybe I want to become a Christian. Maybe there's a lot of lights in this room. But you go out into a world where there's fewer and fewer Christians out there and it's a dark and scary place, The light of Christ might be the only thing someone has to get their bearing point off of, and it comes from your life. Do not hide it. Don't hide it because you think wrongly of God and are afraid to let him come and see who you are. Don't hide it because you're like, well, my light's not as bright as, you know, as as Matt's. 
You know, don't hide it because you're playing a comparison game. I'll be honest, like Billy Graham, that dude's a million candlewatt giant like searchlight. That guy had a light that spanned the globe. It was amazing. And as a pastor, I could sit here and be like, I am such an underachiever. Why do I even try? I don't try to be like Billy Graham. I do what Christ gave me. I do with what Christ gave me to do one thing, to glorify him. I use my little light to shine for Jesus. And in the end, it matters for the one, two, who we know in this life who received Jesus because we were a witness in their life. Don't think that you can't shine because you're not as bright as someone else. Don't hide it because it may be the only chance someone has to get a bearing point on the light of Christ and come and see just how good and loving Jesus is. I invite you, church, to let your light shine before everyone in the world. Let everyone who will look and see Find a bearing point to Jesus Christ by the light of Christ shining out of you. And know this, it's not about numbers. Jesus loves you just as much as he loves loves Billy Graham. Billy Graham led millions of people to Jesus. Maybe you'll only lead one, but Jesus died for that one. Don't ever discount the light of Christ in you that helps someone find their way through the darkness home. Pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, may your light shine through us, and in so doing, may many who don't know you find their way home. Guard us, Lord, from the deception that we don't have a very big light or we don't have a big understanding of the treasure of the gospel. Give us the confidence to say, by letting our light shine, come and see the one in whom I found safety, home, salvation, and redemption. God, help us to be people whose light shines in the darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. He loves you dearly. He is compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relents and doesn't want to send calamity. I want to invite you to remember something as you go out into the world believing something true of God. He, be- he loves you. He believes enough in you that he gave you the gospel of his son won by his broken body and shed blood. What an amazing gift. I want you to remember that as you go out into this world. No matter how bright your light shines among other believers, it matters this, that it shines in the darkness. Do not hide the light of Christ as you go from this place. Do not be afraid to go out and let your great or little light shine because in the end of all things, it's what we do with this gospel that matters. And we could get caught up in who's the most shiny bright light and miss the point. But never forget because of this meal, because of what Christ did, it's a reminder to us that we are not just kind of part of the family of God. We are sons and daughters, full inheritors of the kingdom of God now. Go and live with that confidence and let your light shine among men and women in this world to know Jesus Christ not only loves you, but he is their beacon home. 
He will shine out of you if you will let your light shine. As you go from this place, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, go in peace, friends.